This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com slash critical to find out more. The Matildas have had a best ever World Cup performance, progressing through to the final four. So we thought now is a great time to get across the history of our national women's football team and nail down how we got to this big moment. Squeeze Shortcuts is your backstory to the big news stories. I'm Alex Ty. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, I reckon it is not too early to call it. The Matildas have changed sport in Australia. And we're not just saying they've changed women's sport, they have changed sport. Alex, that is a very big call. But (laughs) yes, there are many people who have played and supported women's sport in Australia who are just so very pleased that the Matildas are really shining at this World Cup in front of a home crowd. And wouldn't it be great if there is a lasting legacy of ongoing interest in women's sport? Yeah, it it sure would. And I think it will. So let's wind back to where it all began for the Matildas. But Claire, it is not so simple to say when the Matildas team first started. Yeah, you would think these things are simple, but certainly (laughs) not in this case. Um, Prior to this year and the FIFA World Cup, the story was that the first official international match of our national women's soccer team was in October in 1979. But the attention of this year has really led people to look again at that history and officially recognise an earlier match. Hmm. It was an English migrant named Pat O'Connor, who had been part of setting up Australia's Women's Soccer Association. And in 1975, she was the captain of a team that played in Hong Kong in the first Asian Women's Cup. And it's that game in 1975 that has now been recognised as the first international women's soccer game in Australia. Now, fast forward a couple of decades and the name The Matildas was chosen via a popular vote in 1995 in a competition run by the SBS. But during that period, women's soccer really didn't get a lot of support or attention in Australia. It's a familiar story for many involved in women's sport over the years, Mm. and it comes down to one thing. The funding wasn't there. Um, During this period, there were stories about the women in those teams having to pay their own way to play overseas or to fundraise via things like raffles. Uh, Or in 1999, the Matildas team even participated in a nude calendar to raise funds. That calendar went the 1999 equivalent of viral and Some people in women's soccer reckon that that was actually the moment when a lot of Australians first heard the name The Matildas. Yeah, yeah, it was a headline grabber, that's for sure. (laughs) Okay, so we are into the 2000s now. The Matildas have their name. They've just played in the Sydney 2000 Olympics where they were eliminated in the knockout rounds. But more and more Aussies are starting to clue into their existence. So how do we get from there to the 2023 World Cup? Let's get into that next. 
Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser, BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. Okay, Claire, we have rolled the clock forward to 2020 when two really important things happened for the Matildas. Yep. So the first thing is that Australia was announced as co-hosts of the 2023 FIFA World Cup alongside New Zealand. Mm. That's the tournament that's currently being played now. And it's the first ever FIFA World Cup to be held in Australia. And then the second thing is the Matildas got a new coach, uh, a Swedish man named Tony Gustafsson. And he was a professional player in Sweden. uh, But before the Matildas, he was probably best known as an assistant coach for the US women's team. It's kind of like the Ted Lasso version of Coach Beard. So if you need to clock in, that's the role that he played with the US team. Got it. I know exactly what you're talking about now. (laughs) And if you know anything about women's soccer, you know that for the second half of the last decade, the US team dominated. With Gustafsson as assistant coach, the US women's team won the last two World Cups in 2019 and 2015. So when Gustafsson got the job with the Matildas, how did he prepare them for this moment? Well, as soon as he became the coach of the Matildas, he was asked about the 2023 Cup uh, and whether it was something that he thought that we could win. And right from the start, he said that was the plan. And Gustafsson has spent three years executing on that plan. And the thing to know here is that when Gustafsson took on the job, he was handed a report by Football Australia with all of this data and all of these graphs about the gap in Australian women's football. Yeah, there were three things that really did strike as hard truths in that report. Mm. One was that even though the Matildas had some really strong key players, the squad lacked depth. The second issue was that that reliance on those key players was a really huge risk if any of them got injured and that was a big problem. Uh, And the final point is that the Matildas weren't playing enough matches against the top teams. So those are the things that Gustafsson set out to fix. He brought in a lot of young players, he reduced the workload of the stars And he scheduled a lot of matches against the world's top teams. And the thing to know here is that this was really hard to do. Really, really hard. The Mm. Matildas have spent a lot of the last three years losing games, uh, sometimes losing really, really badly. But Mm. they built and they built and it's led to this really hot streak that the Matildas have been on really over the last nine months or so where they have beaten a lot of the top tier teams. They have even beaten England recently. 
And while it's impossible to say, the hope is that the team are now hitting their peak at the right time for this World Cup. And the thing that we've heard from the staff and players over the last three years is something that you tend to hear a lot when you take this kind of analytics-based approach to coaching Claire. They wanted everyone to just trust the process. Yeah, and Tony Gustafsson, of course, with that approach, he was questioned a lot about whether it was the right approach and his answer was always that that was the way that he was doing it and he fully understood if people didn't think that that was the right way but Hmm. that was the process and the expectation going into this tournament has been that the Matildas would probably make it to the quarterfinals. Hmm. Uh, We've got past that stage and whatever the outcome now it's already one of the biggest sporting moments in Australian history. That's that's a big call, Claire. Are you ready to make that call? <laughs> Absolutely. Let's lean into it. <laughs> and that is your shortcut to the history of the Matildas. Up next, some recommendations. Each week on Squish Shortcuts, we give you some extra recommendations for things to read, watch or listen to. And this week, I want to shout out Kieran Pender, who is a journalist for The Guardian, and his reporting throughout this period has been really, really excellent. We talked previously about the Matilda's head chef on Squiz Today. That was a piece by Kieran Pender, and his reporting has been really helpful in researching this episode. Yep, of course, the head chef has a very important role in this campaign, so <laughs> well done, Kieran, for diving into that. Uh, I'm also very, very pleased, we've mentioned it a couple of times, that I watched the Matilda's doco series on mm. Disney+. Plus. Really has prepped me very well for the World Cup, and <laughs> if you're into them now, I think you'd really enjoy it. So we'll have a link to that too. Yes, we will have links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please tell people about the podcast. And if you have any requests, you can send them through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. And in the meantime, there are plenty more episodes for you to have a listen to. So get on to that. Until next time. Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.